You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, made in France since 1925. The first and finest enameled cast iron cookware, a favorite for generations. For more information, visit lecreuset.com. That's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com. Hello, and welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson, and this is the show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. Today's guest is Yasanet Batista of Woke Foods, a woman-owned cooperative that focuses on the healing power of whole foods and traditional cooking from the Dominican Republic. The organization was founded by Batista um, and Morales Catalina Ortiz. Did I say that right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> and offers recipe development, cooking classes, catering, and event planning, all rooted in the Dominican cooking that they grew up with. Yasinet was born in Harlem and grew up in between the Dominican Republic and a town in Florida and is a graduate of Johnson & Wales. Today, she lives and works in the Bronx as a nutrition and food justice educator for, or used to, for middle school students. <laughs> Yasinet, welcome to A Hungry Society. Thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to have you here. Um, Woke Foods, I think, is such a cool, innovative... Uh, that word's played out, but you know what I mean. <laughs> like it's a, it takes a really great approach to um, like healing entire communities. Uh, can you talk about woke foods and how do you describe it to people? Sure. So at first, woke food started as an idea in my mind. I was I had just moved back from the Dominican Republic after college. I moved. Um, there to become a teacher and I was doing um, like a volunteer teacher experience and I was living there for about a year and a half and when I moved back I really missed the whole foods that I was eating there that were part of my culture and while they existed in New York you could very easily go to a supermarket there wasn't a lot of prepared food that was also plant-based because at the time I was exploring a plant-based diet. And so decided to start a little side hustle thinking, oh, I could meal plan for people. And then uh, the other founding member of Woke Foods, Medellis, asked me, why don't you cater for an event I'm doing for my job? And so I catered an event for her job. And then that's sort of how the catering aspect of Woke Foods started. And I mean, even before the whole meal planning and the catering, I was just sort of sitting with myself and with friends um, that were in the organizing community around Black Lives Matter issues. We were talking about the need to stay aware and stay woke about all the different intersections um, of race and identity, how we have like disparities within housing, within um, health, within food. And so for me, I was really passionate about food and I really wanted to bring awareness 
to the health metrics of people of color. Um, and I also wanted for people of color to understand that a plant-based lifestyle or veganism was actually very tied to our ancestral roots. Mm-hmm. And we've been eating like this for centuries. And a lot of our um, cuisines has been created out of will be we have had at we have had access to or we have been given access to so if you think about soul food or if you think about dishes like sancocho in the dominican republic a soup or a stew that has been created out of food scraps that enslaved black people in the island were given and so there was a lot that is connected to food and I wanted to bring more awareness and guide people back to knowledge that our ancestors and our elders know, but are not really talking about because life gets busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of you know, when I was getting prepared for this interview, like in reading about how you, like you said, like you were looking into kind of the roots of, of Dominican cooking and realizing that it, it's actually not challenging to make it plant-based and that actually no. speaks to the the foundation of the cooking. Yeah, that that was the foundation and it was really fun for me to cook with my grandmothers who are both alive and I'm very grateful to that and asking them to teach me recipes that I grew up loving and then going back to my own kitchen and trying to make them plant-based. And it was pretty easy i also have you know a privilege of having access to technology and there's so many recipes and tips and tricks on how to make vegan cheese or make a vegan egg like all these um ways to make your food plant-based and so i took what i was learning from my grandmothers and i took what i was sort of learning online and through youtube and sort of merged them And then I thought, well, why don't I make something out of this and create a business out of it? And I reached out to my grandmother and she was helping me with the catering orders. And then I reached out to two friends, one of them being Merelis. And I said, hey, I want to make this a worker cooperative. Um, They're like, what's a worker cooperative? And I was (laughs) like, well, I don't know much about it either but i know it's a business that is owned by all the employees so i want you and this um this other person claudia my grandmother and me to like own it together and we can do catering and meal planning and we can offer these services to our community of washington heights and the south bronx and other communities that love dominican food and want to be healthier or want to explore a plant-based lifestyle and don't have a lot of information to do that. And so we can sort of fill that gap with this business. And so that's really how then it became a business and how we decided to, I decided to go the model of the worker co-op. Yeah, I, there's so much um, uh, lately, something that's been very um, intriguing for me when it comes to food waste in this country is... um, talking to communities who well I should start with the what kind of fueled it but um, I don't know if you've read um, chef Sean Sherman's indigenous cookbook um, he's um, an, an indigenous uh, person in Minnesota mm. and he in his cookbook he's like you're not gonna find white flour white sugar any of the things that like our communities have had to use to like 
survive for, you know, after being put on reservations, like you're not going to find any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the work that you're doing is the same. Like you're kind of, you're reintroducing, but also kind of preserving these foodways that have been there for a long time. And in that work, it becomes like super empowering. It's like these self-determining uh, food systems that you're helping to create. For sure. So like I said, I mean, it's intersected to so much, to identity, to economy, to like our our lived experiences. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm like really grateful that this is the work I get to do. And I think, yeah, very similar to um, indigenous people from the United States, I think in the Dominican Republic where many people um, don't always see like the value in our gastronomy. I know that last year I had the opportunity to, was it last year? No, it was maybe two years ago. Time flies when you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> so about, I think two years ago, I was in the Dominican Republic and um, doing a, an event um, with Woke Foods and we were being interviewed by a magazine about Dominican gastronomy. And something that the interviewer told me was how a lot of people that study culinary arts in the Dominican Republic are actually studying everything but Dominican cuisine. They're studying French cuisine, Italian cuisine, and many, many students then end up going to Europe to continue their food studies. And so I found that fascinating because I love Dominican food. And I also didn't grow up with foods from Europe, um, which I, I grew up considering them fancy foods. And so I grew up eating at home or I grew up eating like at the local Dominican restaurants in my neighborhood. And in the summer when I would go to the Dominican Republic, we would always eat at home. I, you know, I would always see my, my aunts um, and my uncles come back to our, our house at around 12 p.m. to like sit down and eat and eat food with us. And so that was a really beautiful experience for me. And then when I would come back to the United States, I didn't see that happening. And like my aunt um, and my mom, they were working really long hours. So we didn't really like sit around to eat and there was like really no like teaching of what was being cooked in the kitchen. Um, and so with Woke Foods, like I get to do that. And now we have access to technology and social media. And and I love that we get to like share that with people um, on, on social media and, and online. Yeah, like showing people that, you know, there is so much beauty and technique and skill in the food that you grow up with. Um, like, yeah, yeah. I went to culinary school, and uh, it was all European, <laughs> French-based. So yeah. I, know what I went. I about. went to a, a culinary-focused school too, Johnson and Wales University. And while my focus was hotel and tourism, I would see like my friends who were in the culinary arts program, and I never saw them cook a platano, a plantain, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you know, I think what's also been really beautiful about woke foods and. We're no longer, we're sort of um, stepping away from only only saying we make Dominican plant-based food. We're saying now we cook Dominican and 
and other Afro-Caribbean plant-based foods because now we have more chefs and workers that are from Puerto Rico and Jamaica. And so we're sort of merging our cuisines and seeing like all the similarities that exist within Afro-Caribbean food, specifically like Spanish-speaking Caribbean food um, because of like our shared, our shared historical roots. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I feel like those food ways should be studied in culinary arts schools as much as anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently working on a cookbook, and within that cookbook, we are I'm I'm doing a lot of research, and in the summer, I'm gonna be doing more research on like Dominican food ways and like recipes that um, are being cooked in in the country and in, in the campos mm-hmm. um, that are often like not highlighted in mainstream food oh that's exciting i i cannot wait to read that (laughs) yeah i'm excited too (laughs) uh so in addition to your cookbook you're also working on a farm a really exciting farm project yeah i'd be doing all the things (laughs) you are very busy yeah i am busy but i'm also just really passionate about this work and i i decided uh, i think also like two years ago that there was like a need for more visible food justice work in the Dominican Republic. And so I I grew up in a family that doesn't didn't always understand the complexity and like rich culture of our country. And so when I say complexity, I mean like the fact that like through the transatlantic slave trade, um, people from Africa ended up in the Dominican Republic. Um, and how, because of that, many Dominicans are black. Um, unfortunately, through a lot of genocide and dictatorship and violence, um, both like physically and also mentally, a lot of Dominicans have anti-black sentiment within them and so like I grew up with that and in college I had the opportunity to like learn about real history and the ways that like black history is very connected across the diaspora and when I went back to the Dominican one day I decided I'm gonna go back to the Dominican Republic and become a teacher and when I was um, I was an English teacher and in my classroom my students would often make prejudicial comments about themselves calling themselves ugly for being darker skin or for being half wow. Haitian and I was like Mm-mm, we're not we're not learning English anymore and so I started teaching them about real Dominican history I started teaching them a little bit about Haitian history and how like we're more connected than we're sep- than, than we're separate and they started to make those connections like right away and like those prejudicial comments and um, transform to like comments of solidarity and kinder words and they started to see their roots as one. And a big issue that, that we were learning about was um, farm workers in the Dominican Republic mm. and how there is a, a partnership between the Dominican government and Haitian government to bring um, workers from Haiti into the Dominican Republic to work the fields because often um, similar to the United States how not many um, U.S. born people want to do farm work Mm -hmm. and they have to sort of bring workers through that um, age to I'm going to say this wrong but there's like a program um, where they bring like through 
like similar to the Braceros program where they were bringing folks from like Mexico and other places in Latin America to work um, U.S. farms. It's a sort of similar what's happening in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti. And um, unfortunately, people don't know about sort of these partnerships between the government. They're like they're, they're in cahoots. And people think that Dominican people think that Haitians are taking their jobs. Um, but it's actually not the full truth. And they are underpaid often when they are done with their farm labor, Dominican farm owners will report them to immigration. Wow. Which also happens in the US. Right. With like US. Yeah, and as you're yeah. telling the story, I was like, okay, that sounds so many like similarities. Here. <laughs> and yeah, it's super fucked up. And I just felt feel like there is I don't know. I love I love farm work um because of its history and how like just beautiful it is to be able to grow your own food and be able to grow food for other people and i wanted to create something um so that farm workers in the dominican republic specifically dark-skinned farm workers and dominican haitian farm workers could have um work where they were getting paid fair wages and whether they were being treated well or where they actually had a say in the kind of work they were doing so essentially that is how this farm project that i have in the dr is like thought of and it right now it's just uh, an idea that is coming to be more true every day um so it's called the mamatingo farm um bed and breakfast project and it's called the Mamatingo from Cooperative Project because Mamatingo was a um, peasant farmer in the Dominican Republic that who also had Haitian ancestry and was assassinated in, I think, the early 1970s. I think November 1st, 1974. Um, and maybe that date is wrong, but um, <laughs> she was assassinated for doing farm, farm justice work. Wow. Yeah, she was, like, fighting for for land in the Dominican Republic and was assassinated soon after she won a victory. Mm. And so um, she's uh, like a heroine that is not often um, uplifted um, in in Dominican-American families and also in Dominican families, probably because she's darker skin. Mm. And... So that's really like the inspiration behind that. And then the bed and breakfast piece comes because I studied hotel and tourism and I worked in hotels since I was 16 and saw a lot of fucked up shit happen there too. And, but I also love the experience of being able to travel to a place and learn about the culture through the people from, from that place and for people to have the opportunity from other countries to funnel money into the pockets of local people. And so the idea is for people to come, stay in the bed and breakfast. Also, they get to sort of enjoy um, food in the bed and breakfast that's prepared by um, the foods that are being grown on the farm and also on the farm side that we get to grow food and um, have a production piece to that as wow. well. So is part of the goal of this farm project to kind of change the perception of farm work in the minds of, you know, not just people in DR, but kind of. Yes, here I will say that to you, that that is the goal in the Dominican Republic. I won't say it like that Mm. because Dominicans will not hold back. They will tell you how they feel. And usually (laughs) it's 
yeah, it can be pretty violent. So here mm. I will tell you that is the goal. The goal is to set an example so that maybe other people can start similar projects and for these projects to be led by the people of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's the, the goal is to bring, bring more visibility um, to food justice in the Dominican Republic. Um, not that it's not being done, it is being done, but I think I, there is a privilege that um, I hold and a lot of Dominican Americans hold um, that, not, that Dominicans living in the island do not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you talked about food justice, which someone asked me to um, define it recently. Mm. Um, and I don't work in food justice. I cover, you know, I write about people who do. Um, I'm curious what your definition of food justice is. So that's a great question. And something that people talk about in food justice is the difference between food justice and food sovereignty. Mm. And so I think food justice is essentially the idea of having access to consume um, healthy whole foods and be able to also grow healthy and whole foods in environments that sustain you and don't kill you. Um, But beyond that, I think it's like communities having super supermarkets or stores or farmers markets where they can buy good food um it's in schools kids having um healthy lunches and breakfasts um to sustain their brains as they study it's farmers um having fair wages and working in humane um working conditions and organizations that sort of do this work um putting money in like the right places that's food justice food sovereignty is a little more radical it looks like um black and brown people that often have been denied um access to like land ownership or often been denied to growing their own food like sort of been given so like indigenous people getting back their lands Mm. black people that worked the farmlands getting reparations money for all the work they did um food sovereignty is people having um free access to green space and being able to like grow food wherever they want and not Mm. having to file a permit for it um school lunches like not even be like this super strict like cafeteria experience where like but but maybe kids are growing their own food and making food for lunch so it's a little more radical it like goes beyond the systems that we have now um and sort of creates new ways for us to engage with food and land and so that that's the difference food justice is like having the system be better and being more accountable and food sovereignty is not being within the system. Rebuilding the system. Yeah, like creating a whole new system that works for the people that have been most marginalized and oppressed. Mm. Wow. Do you think uh, they can both coexist? Do you think... Yeah, for sure. They are are coexisting right now. There's a lot of people doing food sovereignty work. Um, Definitely want to give a shout out to Soul Fire Farm who is doing amazing work around... Um, ending racism in the food system and so they are creating new ways like they bought this like beautiful land and have been like working it for many many years now and have 
their um, different immersions program for both black and brown youth and for black and brown adults and recently did one in Spanish and they um, have like a CSA where they're like feeding um, low income people in, in Troy, which is where they're, they're farmers. And yeah, they're definitely like doing new things. And they're also like working within the system. Like they have partnerships with their um, like their juvenile prison system mm-hmm. and, and having like the youth that are like like in that in that pipeline work yeah. with them to make up the hours instead of having to go um into into a jail or a prison so yeah i think people doing food justice work and food sovereignty work are trying to figure out both ways right in this moment until we can get to like the most radical way. Right. It's, um, yeah, there's a a ton of great organizations that you listed and it's always incredible to me to learn about what they're doing. And I think it's necessary and crucial work. Yeah. I mean, I can highlight so many people and the beauty of it is that it's all black women, not all black women, but the ones that I'm super inspired by Mm -hmm. is black women like Leah at Soulfire, Tanya Fields at the Black Project and Libertad Urban Farm in the Bronx. Karen Washington, who, oh my God. She's an OG. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to her and um, also her, her, her other um, farmers who work with her at Rice and Root. Um, yeah, I mean, I can go on and on. Oh, Cheryl Durant at Kelly Street Community Garden in New Roots. Kiana Mickey, she's the executive director at Just Foods. Yeah, I could go on and on. That's <laughs> oh, amazing. I just, yeah, love it. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more. Today's program was brought to you by Le Creuset, the first to pioneer colorful enameled cookware over 90 years ago. They've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories the cookware creates and the style it expresses. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm the communications director at Heritage Radio Network. When I'm not making food radio, I'm making food, and my favorite cookware is the eight-quart marine blue Dutch oven that never leaves my stovetop. Before we got our Le Creuset, the cookware we used most often was an antique Griswold cast iron pan. It didn't take long for me to realize how much I'd been missing enamel cast iron in my life. Le Creuset has the superior heat retention of cast iron, but paired with the unparalleled performance and ease of enamel. That means delicious food with easy cleanup. Head to lecreuset.com hrn, that's L-E-C-R-E-U-S-E-T dot com slash hrn to see all the new products and amazing holiday gift deals. HRN listeners will get 20% off the new Le Creuset cookbook with the code HRN. All right, so we are back with Yasanet, or I'm not pronouncing that. It's Isanet. Isanet, <laughs> Batista. Um, 
and of Woke Foods, which is a great organization here in New York and in the DR. So the second half of the show, I usually talk to my guests about dining. Um, and when we were preparing for this, you were like, you know, I don't, we didn't go out to eat much. So like, I don't know if you want to <laughs> ask me those <laughs> questions. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, my family mostly cooked at home. And if we did eat food from the outside, it was because my aunt or my mom brought us like Chinese food from the corner store or pizza because they didn't have time or my grandmother wasn't able to cook for us. So, yeah. And, and even now as an adult, I don't like know like the fancy restaurants or like the, you know, like, like oh, have you tried this place? All the restaurants I know are probably vegan because that, <laughs> that, that's that feels like really fun to me to go check out like the good vegan spots um so yeah so that's really that really has been like my experience with like restaurants and dining outside of my house mm-hmm. um and you grew up in in harlem right yeah my family um is from harlem on 135th and broadway and so yeah and then and, but then my my mom and i have lived all over in terms of like manhattan like we've lived in West Harlem, we've lived in Washington Heights, um, and we've lived in Inwood. Mm. Mm-hmm. Inwood is uh, my New York geography. It's like um, it's not that great. 207, like West 207 area. It's kind of like Washington Heights. But okay. Not. Yeah, I um, recently went to Washington Heights for the first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And kind of <laughs> like bounced around. It was fun. It's a great part of New York. It is. It's it's beautiful. It has so much green space. Like once you go up to Inwood, mm-hmm. like the the park, and it's super close to upstate. Um, so it's like a short drive upstate. So it's nice. So what did your um, grandmother cook when she would like cook dinner? Like what did you typically have on the table? Typically, it was white rice, red kidney beans, and um, stewed chicken. Um, and maybe like on the side, like uh, a cabbage salad, um, like shredded cabbage, like with vinegar and like carrots and tomato, um, and sometimes fried sweet plantains. Ooh. Yeah, and then sometimes it would be um, Dominican style spaghetti, um, which is not like super red, like Italian spaghetti, and it's a lot more sticky than um, Italian spaghetti. You know, like Italian spaghetti is like like very sauce heavy um dominican spaghetti is like saucy but the sauce sticks to each um spaghetti and so it kind of like gets dry a little bit um i don't know i have never had dominican spaghetti wait a minute yeah. I need to search this out. Like, what is this the sauce made out of? I think different people make it different ways. Mm. I know my my paternal grandmother, she makes, like, a sauce with, like, tomato sauce from the can. Like, we, we don't use, like, the glass tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. We use tomato sauce from the can, tomato paste. We use um, our yellow Dominican cheese. Um, and then we also like use garlic and um, the light green pepper and onion and things like that and then we like blend it to make this like cheese based red sauce that kind of looks like orangey 
like red, but a little bit more on the orange side. And then that's sort of the sauce. It sounds like a mix between like a pasta sauce and like sofrito. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The other day I was making it with her and I saw her um, boiling ingredients for sofrito and then putting it in once like the onion and garlic and pepper was boiled. Then she added it to the sauce. It's, yeah, I would say that is correct. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Do you have any favorite Caribbean or Dominican restaurants? Yeah, um, let's see. I do love Mambi on 177, I think. It's like right near the A train. I do like Mambi. They have really good food. But I think I just prefer my grandmother's cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she like makes the best... um, Arepitas de yuca, they're um, cassava fritters, Ooh. and it's like grated um, cassava, and then she adds like anise seed and egg and salt and um, garlic powder, and it's like this, um, yeah, this mix, and then she fries, she fries them, it's like it's really delicious fritters. <sighs> they're the best. <laughs> Your face just now was like so relaxed and peaceful and happy you're just like oh these fritters she doesn't make them a lot because it takes so much to grate cassava although now you can like buy grated cassava in the store but even so she's not it's not like a thing they're making often but i did add it to my catering menu so she does have to make it often (laughs) you make her make it well she works with me okay yeah she's one of our our cooks so she has to make a lot of her foods like a lot of foods that would traditionally be safe for um the holidays, she has, she's having to make often because it, I put it on the menu. So the vegan restaurants that you were talking about, what have you had good? Mm. Yeah, I have. Like, where have you been going? Um, one of my favorite ones is Seasoned Vegan. They're, um, they have like this crawfish sandwich that is freaking delicious. They don't, they don't, they won't tell you what is like the substitute meat they use, like their secret, but uh, it's so good. And then there's also this other restaurant um, called Ha 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 Ha, and it's a Mexican vegan restaurant. Yes, I've heard about this restaurant, and it's um, J J A J A J A. I think it's not the J A. And their nachos are pretty good. Their pupusas are fantastic, and. Yeah, I, I do like that one because their focus is plant-based foods and it's not always like substitute vegan meats. Mm. I'm not a big fan of like vegan substitute things. I like things to be like whole. And so I do appreciate that from that restaurant. But also Seasoned Vegan has this like really slamming vegan soul food and it's also owned by a black woman and her son. And so I like to like support them. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so I ask every guest this, uh, what is one of the worst restaurant experiences you've ever, ever had? And you can name the place, but you don't have to. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think I went to this, I did go once to this like vegan restaurant and there was like a lot of hype around it and I get there and it's not. It's not the hype, y'all. <laughs> it, it didn't live up to that. <laughs> it didn't live up to it. I think often, and pe- people say this all the time, like vegan restaurants get 
too good of a rep because they're vegan. And, like, they'll, like, they'll, like, slack sometimes. Mm. So, like, well, we're vegan. So, as, as long as we have the vegan stamp, um, people will come to our restaurant. But it was so bad. It was, like, no seasoning. <laughs> and it was also supposed to be, like, a Latin oh. vegan spot. And I was like, oh, my God. This is <laughs> so like, bad. And the, the food seasoning? was so expensive. Not expensive, but... It was expensive for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like $17, $18 a plate. And I was so unsatisfied. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst when you're expecting to have a really good meal. And mm-hmm. it just doesn't live up to it. Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. you already paid for it, so it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you said you don't go out to eat a lot. But um, I guess if you could see changes made to like our, our current food culture, what would you want to see? Uh, different and I guess just I'm curious what you make of the like restaurant scene now if there were more restaurants owned by people that looked like me I would go to them or or more restaurants that were like owned by black women or people of color and they were cooking foods from their culture like I would be in there Um, I think it that's also like not enough for me. I think I want to know how the workers are being treated. I want to know that the servers and the and the cooks and the prep um, people are being paid good wages that is allowing them to be sustain their livelihoods. And I also want to know that the chefs are talking kindly to the workers and are not cursing at them. And um, yeah, like being like being bullies to them. And so I wanted. To, if there were more restaurants like that, where like there was more 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 transparency, I and more like visibility of people of color and our foods, um, I would, I would definitely like love to go to one of those, mm. or many of those. Yeah, same. <laughs> I do like I I love going out to eat, but it's um, finding restaurants that are one owned by people of color is is tough in this city which is really frustrating because there are a ton of people of color in the city, but restaurant ownership is still, like, largely white. Well, because it's also really hard. Real estate is really hard in New York City, and so to even buy a restaurant takes a lot of money. And so most most people of color in New York City are low-income or middle or working class. And so someone like me, I won't ever be able to own a restaurant unless I increase like change um my class status or someone decides to like throw money my way but yeah because people ask will woke foods be a restaurant i was like well what money (laughs) maybe a food truck yeah maybe yeah (laughs) yeah but yeah i don't know it's really hard so my last question for you um, and I think I know the answer to this, but if you could have your last meal in a restaurant, where would it be and who is invited? If I could have a last meal in a restaurant, I would have it in my bed and breakfast in the Dominican Republic, overlooking maybe the palm trees or other type of trees, just like out in nature, um, the menu would be made by both my grandmothers and they would be invited my family would be invited all of the 
food, sovereignty, heroines that I mentioned before would be invited. Mm. And I would have lots of kids there. And just all kinds of children or like children that you know or the another dream of the farm project is to have a social justice camp for Mm. youth so maybe some of the youth from there actually some of a few of my former students that i was teaching at dominican republic they would be they would be invited and and maybe other people that i really admire and um have guided me through my work like my mentors would be invited too yeah, um, so I I have to edit this, like, question to add in a little more detail. You can invite anyone from, like, history, living or dead, celebrity. Oh, you like, okay. anybody. Okay, so I, I would invite um, Mama Tingo. Mm-hmm. Um, I would invite my great-grandmother. I would invite my great-grandmother's um, husband, who raised my grandmother and many other people in my family. And I would invite um, the Mirabal sisters. There mm. were um, three sisters that were also assassinated in the Dominican Republic for doing social justice work. And I would also invite my father, who is... Um, incarcerated and has been incarcerated for the past 17 years um so i would definitely want him to be at that dinner it sounds like a great dinner yeah yeah well i feel like i don't know i one i want to like keep talking to you but also i can't wait to see what you're up to and what you're doing like a year from now because i feel like you have a lot of like very beautiful beautiful projects in the works so thank you i appreciate that thank you so much for being here Thank you for having the show exist. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week on The Hungry Society. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 